We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome in Hornets fans to another BuzzBeat podcast. We are a proud member of the Blue Wire Network, and be sure to check out the website, bluewirepods.com, for more content. This is Richie, and I'll be joined as always by Spencer and Brian. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Richie Randall, at QCH Spencer, and at BeGuys underscore Bird. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the last two games of the road trip, and we'll probably get into some trade talk towards the end of the pod. Uh, but first, let's check in on the co-host, Spencer. How's everything going in the uh, Percy household? It's good, yeah. It's uh, it's coming together. I'm actually sitting in my... So we have like a loft area as soon as you walk upstairs, and it's been nothing but um, like 80 million parts of a desk um, <laughs> that needed to be put together for a while. And so I was missing a part. It finally came in last week. And I think that was a top five accomplishment of my life, seriously. I've never like put together an entire piece of... You know, very uh, advanced, it would seem advanced to me, furniture. And I put together this desk and I finished it on Monday night and I was finished and I like yelled at my wife and I like screamed for her to come upstairs and look. I was that excited. So I'm sitting at my new desk. So I think all is well, Richie. Thanks, that's, Thanks for asking. That's awesome. Because my, it's so funny. The, the roles in my household are reversed. My wife does like, she loves putting things together. Like she loves Ikea, can't stand Ikea. Uh, I feel like I do most of like the cleaning, so it feels like the roles are completely reversed in our household. Usually that's certainly the case in our household, too. I, I literally can't put anything together and, and, and never have really enjoyed it. And so when I finished this, yeah. I I think I discovered a part about myself I, I didn't know existed. Uh, so it was fun. Good. Yeah. I just don't like directions, so I, I, that's why it takes me forever to do things. So anything new in your life, Brian? Any uh, updates in the dating scene? Oh God! Uh, no, to answer to get to be quick there. Uh, Jesus, we don't have that's. This is like a whole other whole other podcast. Is me explaining my uh, my my the traps that I fall into and the, the pitfalls and the yeah yeah no I actually just put the kibosh on something that that wasn't really going so well over the weekend so that was a whole other thing but. Um, <laughs> So we got that going on, and then the other little bit of good news, as I was telling you guys before the pod started, was the HVAC in my house here in Raleigh decided to kick uh, before a winter storm this weekend. So we were basically without heat at the house for Saturday and Sunday and Monday, uh, so I was having to spend the spend the night at my family in the area. So that was a fun thing to deal with, but now it's... It's a balmy 66 degrees uh, in the downstairs of my house here, which is wonderful. And last night it was working, so I was actually able to catch up on on Hornets games and stuff. But super busy with ACC hoops right now. I always forget every year just like how you know yeah. how intense this gets. There's games every night to watch to cover. I've been at a couple games at, at State. I've been in every Duke game so far this season. And a uh, big game coming up this weekend with Virginia. Uh, I was there Monday night in a crazy evening with uh, Trey Jones going down and full court shots and overtime and Zion Williamson doing crazy things and R.J. Barrett missing a million shots. And uh, 
but no, nah, it's it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, and it's just it's it's hard. I always forget every year how much of a it it makes it just makes keeping up with the horns a little bit more of a challenge. <laughs> there's so there's so much stuff to watch. Well, it does make it more of a challenge, but it's also prep work in the in the same way. Totally, no. But, it's like it's like uh, I was. We were watching the the Hokies and the the Wahoos last night, and I was explaining to my roommate Nikhil Alexander Walker, and I was like, "This guy might be on the Hornets next year." Like he, yeah, like, like he was, that, or, or DeAndre Hunter. I was like, "These guys could totally be on the Hornets next season," you know? Yeah, only a matter of time before we start bringing these names up, right? So uh, <laughs> Alexander Walker, haven't seen him a lot. Early impressions, and I know going against UVA's defense is tough. Not impressed, BG. Not impressed. I like um, him. I like him. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, like I'm not. I'm not all the way on board, but I'm coming around on him this season. Yeah, he's good size. Uh, rest of his skill set, not psyched about. But anyways, we got plenty of time to talk about that <laughs> when the Hornets land in the lottery once again. Yep, and I've yet to watch an SMU game this year. But anyway, let's let's jump uh, right. Uh, <laughs> oh, that reminds. I gotta buy your flight. I got that reminds me. <laughs> 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 All right, let's let's jump into this. Uh, we're going to re- recap the last two games that Charlotte has played. So on Saturday, Charlotte went into Sacramento on a back-to-back and a rest disadvantage and lost 104-97 to a Kings team that truly is, I feel like, as an underrated team uh, among many fans. So if you were to look at the box score, though, uh, a lot of Charlotte's stats were pretty fairly even with the Kings, uh, but the biggest discrepancy was the turnover battle. And Charlotte wasted 18 possessions. You're not going to get win many ball games when you turn the ball over 18 times. And also, uh, Kemba, while not super efficient from behind the arc, dropped 31 points, and Batum added 13, and he was the second leading scorer. So there's a big gap there between Kemba and Batum, and then not a lot of other players stepped up in terms of just kind of contributing in the point department. The first person I want to talk about, I feel like I always lead off with Kemba. Uh, In this game, I felt like he did very well uh, at the rim. In the 15 games leading up to this game, uh, and not not counting for the Spurs game, Kimba had been shooting close to 60% within four feet of the basket. So a very very solid number, and this is kind of a part of his game that really never has been, you know, in his repertoire, hasn't really fully grown to what I thought it would be, because on the season he's shooting 53% within four feet, which is just... It's, it's a number that's got to get up, and I know that we've talked about it uh, in previous episodes and just in terms of maybe he just looks for the call too often. I know that he's listed at, what, 6'1", but I, I, I doubt that he's really 6'1", so I, he, he's having to go up against more length, but the fact that he actually shot very, very well uh, in the paint this game uh, helped him out. And, uh, you know, he didn't shoot too well from deep, but I think he did take advantage of a lot of times that uh, Giles and Bagley dropped deep on on the pick and roll, and he hit a couple of mid-range shots as well. So, uh, you know, funny, Kings would even go big, and they'd be okay with switching uh, with mm-hmm. the big on Kemba. So that I thought that was interesting. Uh, they switched th- everything. I know. They switched it's, everything. Yeah, regardless of what the lineup was. So any thoughts on Kemba or any just kind of thoughts on this game? I just kind of wanted to start it off with, with Kemba and his finishing at the rim, which has been better as of late. The, the one thing that I noted about this game was the Hornets' um, urgency to get back defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about it. We've talked about it a lot this season, just their struggles in transition. I wrote about it last week on Queen City Hoops. I think playing a team like the Kings – that force the ball down your throat so often and try to go really as fast as anybody in the league, you know, it just the attention to detail you have to have, right, to, to keep them out of transition. And Richie, especially to your point, we had 18 turnovers. Yeah. So to only allow four fast break points to Sacramento in this game um, says a lot about how locked in we were um, to take those opportunities away from the Kings. I mean, they had nine chances at it. They only made two field goals, which is a little bit of an outlier if you look at it. But, I mean, you still have to give Charlotte some credit here, right? Like, it, it, they, they are locked in, and I think they know it's something that has to improve. They, they cannot continue to give up easy buckets. So I think this game came, came at a really good time for the Hornets. They didn't win, but, you know, I think transition defense is one of their biggest – uh, problems right now and, and and I think this game having to play a team like the Kings came at the right time to kind of get their attention um, reorganized to where it should be yeah the so you know Sacramento the, they play at a, at a pretty ridiculous pace uh, this, this game had what 99 possessions in it according to NBA.com it's just not not an insane amount and just for a, a little bit of context Sacramento uh, second in the NBA in seconds per offensive possession 13.2 seconds 
Uh, they lead the NBA in uh, average possession length after an opponent turnover, 7.4 seconds. They're, they're top four after a defensive rebound, top two after a made shot. I mean, they, this team, they, they, they go fast, man. Uh, but that night, Charlotte did, did, a pretty, did a pretty good job on them. Uh, Sacramento, 15.1 seconds per offensive possession. So about two full seconds down from their overall season average that night. So that was a good – thought that was worth pointing out uh, as, a, as a positive for the Hornets. As you said, they, this was, in terms of turnover rate, their worst 20% turnover rate, worst game of the season. So, huh. um, you know, this game offensively, the big swing was – and it was interesting because they actually had more turnovers – in the, in the first half than they did in the second half. But they were so much better offensively uh, in the first 24 minutes. 1.11 points per possession in the first half. 54% effective shooting. Uh, under eight-tenths of a point per possession in the second half. 39% uh, effective shooting. A couple other thoughts offensively. I, I thought this was a really bad game for Jeremy Lamb. Look, Lamb's been awesome. And you can't the they've gotten the Hornets have gotten it feels like plenty of value over his contract this year. I think you can argue he's been the team's best player. Maybe he's obviously the team's second. Pardon me, the team's second best player. This was just a weird game. Like I thought he was just sort of again second night of a back to back long road trip. But just I thought he was like a little checked out. He had a couple just turnovers where I was like, man, this guy is just his head's not in the game. Whether it's because he's actually fatigued or you know. Didn't, you know, who knows? It could be a million different reasons. But and I thought he had a nice bounce back game um, San Antonio. Uh, against San Antonio. But yeah, three of eight shooting, only one three point attempt in 26 minutes, uh, three turnovers, only three free throw attempts. Like it was just a weird game for him. And, and I really didn't think he played that well as far as the young guys go. And I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about, uh, you know, another sort of like trick or treat performance from Malik Monk. Uh, Four of eleven shooting, two of six on threes, but just some really tough shots. Uh, o of three on field goal attempts from eight to sixteen feet, and some of them were just like you're just sort of flailing into the middle of the lane and throwing up some slop and, and hoping it goes in. Um, and then Miles Bridges actually sort of fell for him this game because he just one of six shooting, o of two on threes. He just looked he just looked tired. Uh, there was even one of those plays where they ran. You know, Chicago action, the little, like, down screen into the handoff for Batum. And Bridges was on the weak side, and they run that play where they sort of, like, cross, and he cuts through. And, like, that should be, for for Bridges, that should be, like, I'm looking for the ball because it's time for me to get a dunk right yeah. now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, here comes Nick around the corner. Like, I'm kind of the – and he just – I mean, he right? just stopped. Yeah, and, I mean, the pass hit him, but he was just not at all – I mean, it, it was a turnover. He just wasn't at all expecting the ball to come to him. And you know, I just that, I thought that was a, a little bit, but a little bit of a red flag. But then he bounced back and had a nice game against uh, San Antonio too. I thought he was much more like engaged on both ends of the court. So um, yeah, I don't know. And then we can obviously we should probably get into MKG here too. But what did you guys think about uh, Monk guys, and Bridges? Yeah, yeah the I, young guys and Devonte Graham too. We'll throw yeah. them out there as well. I didn't make too big of a note on on either Monk or or Miles. Like nothing like you know, nothing stood out other than the fact that I thought Monk had a strong first quarter. I think overall, like you said, Brian, he did not have a good game, but he had a point in the first quarter where he scored five points fairly quickly, a three and a two, obviously. And then he also had a nice pass to, to Billy. So you see these sparks from Monk that he does have. Yeah. He even had a, huh. he had a nice off-ball steal, I believe, in the second quarter, you know, just to yep. kind of show that awareness yep. on the defensive end. Um, it, was, it was almost like a cross-court bounce pass, and, and he stole it. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's where he struggles the most is off ball on defense and to see that happen. But again, putting it all together for the full 48 minutes, uh, he's still not doing that. And I think that you, you'll see sparks here and there with Monk, same with Bridges, but getting that consistency down is, is key. Yeah. <clears throat> Going back to your lamb point, BG, I, I think he looks a little, I would never describe him as an explosive basketball player, yeah. but, but I, but he, he, to me, he's clearly uh, lacking some explosiveness, you know, since that hamstring injury, and, and that should like that's come to be, and that should come to be expected. I mean, uh, that's a real tricky injury; it can flare up out of nowhere. You know, his mid-range game is great. He knows where he wants to get to and where he can score from and, and eat from pretty consistently, you know, in that ten to fourteen range, uh, feet range or whatever it is, but. He's just not getting to the basket. He's not getting to that Euro step. He's not using the length with his arms to get right there to the rim. 
you know, like we did, I think, before that injury. Like, I, I need to actually go look at that number and see how many points he's actually gotten at the rim here on the West Coast Strip. I don't, <clears throat> I don't think it's very many. So I think that has something to do with that. And then about the rookies, I mean, I think you make a good point about Miles and Monk. I mean, I, I think the end of the West Coast, their first West Coast road trip in the NBA, there's probably a little bit of uh, – I'm sure these guys are tired, right? I, I think yeah, he's probably taking it be. out of them. You know, we've talked about Miles' struggle for a while now. Really nice to see him break out of it in San Antonio. Here's what I'd like to know. I'd like to know what happened and if it was led by Kimba, Parker, Borrego. What happened between that Sacramento game? I I had thrown the towel in for this team in San Antonio. I was like, we just got to get him back to Charlotte. And they were (laughs) – I mean, seriously, go back if you have a chance. If you have that game DVR'd, go back and watch the pre-tip huddle. Uh, of the Charlotte and San Antonio game, all five guys, they're like talking over each other. They wanted that game so badly, obviously, Tony Parker. But who really ignited the energy uh, back into Charlotte? Because that defensive performance was was excellent. I'm jumping ahead now, but it was super encouraging to see what I thought was a team that was just basically going to sleepwalk their way back to Charlotte, (laughs) go to San Antonio and and get that win. So I was surprised. I, I was about as surprised by that result as I've been in any Hornets game in a pretty long time. Yeah, that that especially after, you know, we've been playing on this West Coast trip. And I think, Brian, we should talk about MKG and just kind of his impact yeah, on this team. To. And I feel like it is a sneaky impact in terms of just he shows up on the court and, and, and you just can see it immediately in terms of the players around him and, and his play. I think the second quarter was probably his best quarter of this game. Uh, he played in a part of a lineup with uh, Devontae, Monk, Jeremy Lamb and Marvin at the five to start the second quarter. Mm-hmm. The numbers weren't that great with that lineup, but I thought he played especially well, um, even though the stats Agreed. didn't kind of blow it out of the water. But he just he does a great job. And I don't know if the numbers back this up, but I feel he does a great job of getting the ball off a rebound and taking it coast to coast and scoring. I feel like he also had a made three pointer in this game, and or is that just, above, or is the, that the, above the break? Yeah. No, he had he had one in both games. He went back he had back to back threes. Back to yeah. back, like look at that. Yeah. So, um, so in those seven and a half minutes, uh, he scored nine points, going perfect from the field. Had a three. He continues to show a positive impact on the offensive boards. He's even boxing out bigger players like Bagley. He just adds that extra spark that not a lot of players on this team can add. Yeah, and let's just look. Here's his here's his line because you got to go deeper in the box score to find the whole the total impact from this guy because. You know, announcers during the game like to say, well, some of the stuff this guy does doesn't show up in the box score. And it's like, yeah, if you click that drop down arrow, you know, you can find you can find a little bit more, actually. But 11 points, seven rebounds. I think three were offensive, three blocks. He had an above the break three uh, team high two loose ball recoveries, uh, 10 defensive box outs. I believe that was also a team high. And he contested 13 shots in this game. I mean, the dude was absolutely everywhere and i swear this is my own little this is my own little own little metric i'm using to sort of like grade certain mkg performances by you know the, you know in some in the nba some of the mics can pick up people can catch can catch guys saying and one yeah get out get out, get out get out get out you know, yeah. that or, or i just i like i love when the mics pick up kemba and mkg saying and one when they attack like that for whatever reason, I just, <laughs> they, they both have Kemba turns real New York, and like you'll the Michael catch him saying some words that you know probably don't want over FCC airwaves and stuff like that. But MKG has a, just a, a, a perfect and mm-hmm. one call. I'm not gonna like try to impersonate it because I won't do it justice. Just the next time he plays, like listen for it. It's best. It's up there with Kemba and Draymond in, in terms of like my favorite and one screams in the entire NBA. But like that's how you know that like he's he's got the ball and he's attacking. And so that's just yeah. like he had probably three or four and one calls in the Sacramento game. And it was like that's like, like he's engaged offensively. He's involved and he's not just settling for mid range. You know these these open yeah. mid range shots. Like he's he's putting the ball in the hoop and he's driving like a crazy person to the hoop. Now, Brian, does that does that fall under the drop down? Can you find that on the drop down? No, you cannot. No, you gotta talk. Yeah, that, that's 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 proprietary information for me. <laughs> All right, you gotta like talk to me about that uh, if you want the uh, the secret sauce and one scream data. <laughs> it's um it's impressive. I love listening to him talk on the defensive yeah. end, how many times he told Monk, and Monk did a good job in San Antonio yeah. of, you know, we doubled uh, L.A. a lot, Aldridge, and Monk would have to come in on the weak side and, and, and kind of jump in front of the opposite 
uh, postman. And when MKG would recover, it, it, I think in one play, he screamed at Monk like seven or eight times, get out. Yeah. Monk had been out for like seven or eight seconds, and he finally looked at It's a hilarious moment. He looks at MKG. He's like, I'm out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, was, it was pretty funny. But, I mean, MKG, it's why he's the, the heartbeat of the defense, right? Yeah. I mean, he communicates unlike anyone else on the floor. But, <clears throat> Brian, you're right. I think in the Sacramento game, how often he got to the rim was very encouraging. Sacramento, fifth worst team in the NBA at, at protecting the rim. And like you said, they switch a lot. Uh, you know, the, the driving lanes are pretty open against the Kings, right? <laughs> so, you know, I, th- I thought MKG did a nice job uh, of attacking and taking advantage of that, which we don't get to see as often as, as I think we'd like. Before we wrap this game up real quickly, just want to say one quick note, Sacramento, fun team. Dude, Deer and Fox is going to be a problem for a really long time in the NBA. Yeah. Um, his ability to just cause havoc on those one five pick and rolls where you're not going to switch, he's going to at least get an angle to the hoop. And he's just got all the moves, man. The way he can manipulate the ball when he drives and protect it. And he's got great vision. Decision-making skills are on, on there. He can hit step-back threes, pull-up threes. Like, that dude, if surrounded with the right pieces, is going to be awesome for is- the next 10 or 12 years. I, if I were a Kings fan... I would be bummed that I didn't have Luka Doncic too, but I would be very happy knowing that I have like souped up Mike Conley running my show for the for the next decade. He, I was so I've watched him plenty this year. This was the most intensely I've watched him um, this season, and I was just blown away with his skills. I'm such a fan. His quickness is is just terrifying. Yeah. Very, very shifty player, and uh, you think of this guy as you know being a quick player, but he had this one play in the game where he was driving baseline. And it's almost like he was too far into the basket, and I didn't think he was going to make, you know, even go up for the shot. But yeah. he bodied whoever was guarding him, and was able to even, I think, maybe get an and one in that situation. But the, the little flip alley up he threw to Kali Stein, oh, yeah. like he mm. came off a pin down from Kali Stein, took like a dribble or two in the paint, and then just he just, just lobbed it yeah. up. I mean, it's just like God, dude. You, are, I mean, Biombo, you know, he plays really hard, but just in space defensively, just like no hope, no, yeah, no bad, hope terrible matchup for Biombo. We're, yeah. we're about to move on to what was a pretty good matchup for him. Though. <laughs> yeah. he made it there we go. All right, so before we transition to the uh, Spurs game, I want to got, tell you guys about a promo that we got going on uh, at Blue Wire. Like the rest of us, you probably made a New Year's resolution. If you're planning to eat better, exercise more, be more patient, kinder, or whatever, it all starts with a good night's rest. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and enter my promo code, COZY, and you'll get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes. If you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the four-pack, shipping is absolutely free. That's right, no shipping cost. Zippo, zilch, nada. And don't forget about the uh, 60-day money-back guarantee. There's nothing better than the gift of restorative sleep. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and use my code COZY to get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. MyPillow.com or call 800-966-1472. And remember, my promo code can be used for any offer on MyPillow.com. Again, that's promo code COZY, C-O-Z-Y. All right, well, before you uh, get ready to go to bed with your, your pillow, or perhaps you could even use it to curl up on the couch to, for, to help you enjoy this next thing here. So, look, I know you guys have heard plenty of stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news, uh, all kinds of fictional TV shows. But the crime ring you've probably never heard of uh, is one of the most dangerous in the world. They are the Mennonite mob. You heard that, right? <laughs> Mennonites, 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people, but there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars of narcotics from Mexico to Canada. Wednesdays, starting January 23rd, so that's next week, at 10 Central, WGN America presents the new TV series Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the drug cartel. But... He finds himself way in over his head, and the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things, all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. All right, I like those shows. Get hooked on Pure, Wednesday, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. WGN America is available on DirecTV channel 307. This channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel in your area. All right, let's jump into the next game. 
Tony Parker makes his return to San Antonio. Didn't make the biggest impact, but he added eight points and helped the Hornets cap off their six-game road trip with a 108-93 win. Uh, the Hornets out-rebounded the Spurs and made the most of their second-chance opportunities. Kemba, in my mind, did a complete 180 in, in terms of how he scored. Uh, he played much better outside the arc, converting 7 of 13 from deep than he did on the inside or inside the paint. So a completely different way in which he scored from the Sacramento game. And then also Jeremy Lamb pitched in 19 points and 7 rebounds. I'm again going to lead off with Kemba's play. I thought this was one of Kemba's better games recently, especially from deep. Like I mentioned, where he went 7 of 13. He also added 5 assists and only committed 1 turnover, which was, again, like I said, very different from the Sacramento game in which he committed like 6 or 7. And I made a note of this. Anytime that Kemba went to the bench, I felt like the Spurs kind of went on this mini run. And mm -hmm. I had to kind of look that up, use that drop-down menu, as Brian would say. Mm -hmm. And every time that Kemba went to the bench, especially in the first quarter, we saw the Spurs, they did make a run. When he was on the court for the Hornets uh, in the first quarter, the Hornets had a 38.9 net rating in terms of the offensive and defensive rating. When he went off for those final three minutes, they had a negative 50 net rating. So again, this just speaks to his impact on the team. And you even saw late in the game in which LaMarcus Aldridge was coming to double him. So these teams key in on Kemba, and he's still able to get off his, you know, get up his points, get off his baskets, and and play well. And I, I thought this was probably one of his better games in recent memory, probably in the past five or six games. This probably was his best one. And one more thing to note before kind of passing it off to you guys, I thought that guarding Aldridge was definitely a tough task. You know, he's a beast regardless of who's playing them, you know, in the post, um, I think Marvin had a chance at him a couple times, uh, didn't do so well, mm -hmm. um, but you know, it is what it is with the Marcus. He's, he's going to be very difficult to guard and Borrego made the right move in my mind in playing Biombo late in this game. I think LaMarcus's offense suffered a little bit when Biombo was in that game, especially in that fourth quarter. So, uh, thoughts on the Spurs game and Tony Parker's return. Well, I agree that I this is one of <clears throat> Kim's best games in some time. I mean, the Spurs just this is a, he's a bad matchup for them defensively. I mean, with Dejounte totally. Murray out, you know, Derek White did an okay job, but I mean, look, when Patty Mills or DeMar DeRozan uh, or Bryn Forbes, and I think just a few possessions had the chance to guard Kemba. Like those guys can go over the top all they want, but they're they're too small. DeRozan's not going to fight hard enough to get over a screen, uh, and Kim is going to get a lot of wide open looks. You know, at the top of the key off simple screens and look let's give biz some credit i thought he set some really really good screens in this game it says i looked it up earlier it says he only had three screen assists it seemed like so many more mm -hmm. uh, to me in this game marvin actually had six 20 for the team which is a good number um but yeah i i just think this kimma needed this very obviously but I, I just think this is a terrible matchup for the Spurs. I don't think they really have an answer for him, uh, you know, because on top of the fact what I already mentioned, they don't have any guards that are physical enough to get over screens, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and stay attached to him. They don't have any bigs that can come out and, and hedge hard. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge uh, and Pirtle maybe, but Aldridge really is not – they're not going to bring him to the top of the key and ask him to do mm -hmm. too much defensively. So, But nice to see Kemba uh, kind of break out of a uh, mini slump, I guess. Yeah, this was a good win for the Hornets on the road against the team in San Antonio. The last, really, the last probably 15 games has been, was top in the league in net rating um, and was up in the top, you know, one or two or three for both offense and defense. So good, good win for the Hornets to get on the road to complete the, 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 that was one of the, the best games they've actually had all season. But look, like you said, Richie, it starts with Kemba almost literally. Like he started this game off hot. He hit a three on Charlotte's first possession of the game. And he was cooking from that. And Spencer, to your point with the Spurs being a bad matchup, I mean, they just sort of picked on Aldridge. I mean, it's like, look, LaMarcus, if you're going to get, you're you're going to put us in the blender and, and just crush us from 18 feet and in on that end of the court. Well, we're going to make, we're going to like hurt you on this end. Kemba, you know, he hit, he was 7 of 13 shooting threes in this game. He was 7 of 12 with Aldridge on the court shooting three-pointers in this game. Uh, with Kemba on the court and LaMarcus Aldridge on the court in this game, the Hornets uh, right at 1.2 points per possession over 31 minutes. against Again, a good defensive team. Not a great matchup, but a good defensive team. Um, in terms of screen assist, 
Marvin, six. Aaron and Gomez, five. MKG, four. Biz, three. Those 18 screen assists lead to 42 points. Not, not all that's Kemba. And, and Spencer, I agree with you. It felt like Biz should have had a, a few more in there, too. But that's a lot of production against, a, against again, a very good defensive team that maybe, in terms of wing defenders, is is sort of lacking with Murray out. You know, Lonnie Walker not really online as a thing yet. And yeah, I just thought I just thought Kemba. I mean, this was it was. You wish like he could just always have games like this where he can get to his spots and doesn't have to go. I mean, he didn't take a free throw in this game. He didn't have to. Like he could just get to his pull up spots. He was five and nine on pull up threes in this game. And yeah, it was just a really impress, really impressive performance. You hold the Spurs to only one point per possession, and you go up. You know, 114 points per 100 possessions. I mean, it was just a great game for the Spurs. And I thought. When things got a little hairy, like late in the third quarter and early in the, or, you know, or into the fourth quarter, like Kemba and Parker just made big play after big play. They hit a couple shots. Parker hit Marvin for a corner three when they absolutely needed it. And um, yeah, it was just, it was just a, it was just a hell of a performance from from Kemba once again. And and to your point about you know Tony Parker, he didn't really make the biggest of impacts on the game as a whole but he did his usual thing in the fourth quarter he only played four minutes in the fourth quarter to start that uh, but definitely weathered the storm he scored six points and obviously he scored it in the the normal ways that he you know he usually does whether it's weaving to the Mm -hmm. rim or hitting those occasional mid-range shots Um, you know Tony Parker had his uh, typical game with the Hornets he probably wanted to play a little bit more uh, then, you know, in his return. But I'm glad that Charlotte got the win and he was actually able to come on late in the game. I almost felt like Borrego wasn't going to put him on. Like, you, we saw, like, wasn't wasn't Biombo like, pushing him to the scores table? Or maybe maybe yeah. Parker didn't even want to come on, but it didn't even seem like Borrego was going to put him on. But, you know, the bench kind of willed him onto the court. The the other thing, too, is, like, just Devontae Graham has just wedged his way into the rotation, too. Yeah. Like, he's just, he's just yeah. played, he's just, he's just played too well to, the, you know, he's, he requires minutes now, yep. and you know the, that that's going to come at the sacrifice of of Tony Parker. That you full know court I mean? pass was was something. By oh, man. It was gorgeous, just absolutely beautiful. Gorgeous. And for that second unit to come on uh, and really play right with San Antonio after Charlotte's good start was was very encouraging. I, I thought it really kept the game at bay, which the second unit has struggled at so far this season. But I mean, it was really this was an effort game for the Hornets. Um, I thought defensively they were good. Mm-hmm. I think San Antonio is about they're getting there when it comes to like least creative offense in the league, but they don't have to be real creative. Yeah. Um, they'll take a lot of mid-range shot because they make a lot of them. They don't take many threes per game, but they make the most in the league percentage-wise. You know, so like they they know where they're going to eat. Uh, and they don't they don't mix it up beyond that very much. Look, Lamarcus Aldridge had a nice game stats wise. Um, you know, 28 points, 11 of 17 from the floor. But Biz did a nice job in terms of being physical with him, mm-hmm. and in terms of making those post ups take some time. Right? Yeah. Like almost just slow the game down. Lamarcus hit a lot of step backs. You know, but it, it felt like a lot of these post ups took six, seven seconds to really develop. And I think that played into Charlotte's advantage. This team seems to kind of respond a little bit better and, and get a little bit more confidence, especially on the defensive end, when they can force teams in that last you know four to eight seconds of the shot clock, which they haven't been great at this season. So mm-hmm. I thought this was just a huge game for the defense. Uh, they also cleaned up the glass. They beat yeah. up San Antonio on the glass. Only three offensive rebounds for the, for the Spurs, who don't wow. go after offensive rebounds very often. But I, I just still thought, like, Aldridge has some chances. MKG had some huge box outs mm-hmm. on him. Doom was in there fighting in this game for rebounds. Uh, mm-hmm. Lamb had seven big ones. And look, when, when a guy like Jeremy Lamb grabs seven rebounds, that's going to open up the, the grab-and-go opportunities, which gives Charlotte easy baskets. So this was one of those games where I, I thought Charlotte really maxed out uh, their effort, and, and they were able to get easy points out of that. It, it was good to see Miles Bridges, too. I thought, again, he, you know, four or five, basically everything close to the rim. That little right-handed finish that he had around the elbow off a pass from, you know, he beat a closeout from off a pass from Graham, got to his spot and that little touch. I mean, like you can just see the parts of the skill set, you know, I don't think we're going to get to, um, to all of it this season, but um, you can see the framework of, of a really nice, a really nice piece going forward. But he lot, like he had a nice closeout, like Bertan still scored. It was, in, I think it was in the first quarter, Bertan still scored, but like Bridges was right with him, closed out well on his feet, contested the mid range pull up, like, and then late in the game, 
he and Marvin, I think he was matched up with Mills, and and Marvin was on one of the big guys. It was probably Aldridge and, and not Gasol, but like they navigated the switch perfectly, and it just it was one of those things. It's like I, I don't think that's I don't know if that's even an auto switch play because Mills is a, is a is a mismatch guy, and but they they handled it, and that's something that I think Miles has struggled with at times this year, and so that that was promising to see. Uh, Devontae Graham only took two shots. He missed both of them. They're both threes, but. He had four assists. Quick note here on Devontae Graham for the season. 56 assists, 14 turnovers, uh, six and a half assists per 36 minutes to 1.7 turnovers per 36 minutes, uh, 25% assist rate, which is a nice number, to only a uh, 12% turnover rate. And um, I, I just two, – two last things on this real quick. I'll, I'll slip these in here. MKG hits another corner three. He's now seven of 16 on corner threes this year. He's two of five from above the break, too. I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see if, if he can just increase the volume next season. Like, that might be the thing that he – because, like, all of a sudden, man, with all this other cool stuff he can do on the court, like, if he becomes a guy that can get up a couple per game, I'm probably getting ahead of myself here, and I should probably chill out. But, like, if he could just notch up the volume a little bit, man, it would be – It'd be really interesting to see. And then once again, Willie Aaron and Gomez. Just, he had a nice game, had some really nice pick-and-roll finishes, uh, had a really nice dunk off a of feed from Graham. But uh, San Antonio, San Antonio, man, 1.3 points per possession with Willie on the court for 13 minutes. And I swear to God, that like play where uh, Derek White crossed him over. And like Willie, Willie just literally just lurched out at him, and White was like, "This is the easiest crossover I've I've ever hit since I got to the NBA." And just right by him, and he hit White, he or White hit Pirtle for a for a layup at the hoop. But it was just like it was a laughably bad defensive possession for Aaron and Gomez. Like I think he was playing hard, like everyone else was that night. But boy, in terms of just like how he locks in his footwork, all that stuff, like he's just miles from uh from being anything close to like a semi reliable defensive center again it was it was sort of hilarious to see and again not surprising to note that like san antonio basically lit the or lit charlotte up when he was on the court yeah fourth quarter just real quick for me um closing time as eric collins would say zero turnovers ah. for the hornets in the fourth <laughs> zero turnovers for charlotte in the fourth quarter really really impressive not sure they've done that all season uh -huh. um and then i just can we just take a minute and tip our caps to Bismack Biombo? Like, seriously, yes. I, I know that I've been gone out of my way. I'll throw my body in front of a bus right now to, to, to just point out how, how good this guy has been in the minutes he's been given. But stepping up to the free throw line and helping ice this game. Charlotte didn't take that many free throws in this game. Nine to my count. Um, is that right? Yeah, anyways, I need to go back and look at that. But Biz stepping up late in this game and really helping ice the game. One last request. Can Jeremy Lamb... Malik Monk, Kimba Walker, every now and then. Can you? Can we stop trying to throw Bismack Biombo pocket passes? For the yeah, love of God, the please. Love God, dude. Like, just stop. <laughs> if you're gonna throw it, throw it up to the rim. And look, if he doesn't get it, that's fine. He's gonna smack it off the glass, or, yeah. or he's gonna miss it off the rim. I'd rather live with that turnover than yeah. this pocket pass turnover garbage. He's not gonna catch the pass. <laughs> stop throwing it to him. Yeah. Stop. That uh, that fourth quarter with zero turnovers was just the second time this season uh, the Hornets have had a zero turnover fourth quarter. The other time was the day after Christmas loss uh, at Brooklyn, which, if you remember, was a pretty frustrating uh, game for the Hornets, too. But, yeah, it's the second time with a better result this time against San Antonio. Okay, I think that we've been holding off on this for a couple episodes, but I think it's inevitable. We need to start talking about trade possibilities, players, teams, uh, and what the Hornets should do before 3 p.m. on February 7th. I just want to open it up with this question, um, and then you guys can start throwing out topics that you guys want to talk about when it comes to trade. Um, I don't think they will trade Kemba by any means, but do either of you think that's a possibility? Zero percent. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I say, uh, yeah, especially with the All-Star game coming there. That's true. Um, and my answer wasn't this like a month ago, but I think I, I literally think I like I think Charlotte's mindset went from we're gonna come home five games under five hundred to winning in San Antonio. I think they complete it's just a guess. Yeah. But I think it completely pivoted. I think they're solidly unless they come home and lose the sack in Phoenix at home, they're solidly 
in, in buyer territory here. Yeah, I just think I agreed. I think they're all in. I mean, everyone who's around, who's following the team or watching this, everyone knows they're all in on making the playoffs and, and that they have a clear interest in bringing Kemba back this summer. I think that's what we're going to see happen. The only tough part is, you know, everyone wants to say, well, how do you build the team around him? Well, it's impossible. It's basically impossible to do anything outside of small stuff on the margins until 2020. Uh-huh. So, I mean, can you sit out and waste, you know, yet maybe another year, the final year of his prime or, or whatever? There are no real alternatives. I think there's a slight, a slight chance. Like, let's say something again, there's six, there's three weeks here before the deadline. It's tough to look around and be like, well, what superstars could be had right now? Do you know what I mean? There just there just aren't you know you hear the stuff with maybe Gasol and Memphis and it looks like they're they could very well end up being sellers but you know he's a big center that's a little tough to fit and tougher to fit into a picture like Kemba's <laughs> Kemba's a sweet shooting point guard that can create his own shot like he plays for anybody you know what I mean you know Jimmy Butler's already been moved we're not going to see Kawhi being moved uh, it's just if if there were yeah. if there were a team that were trying to swing a big trade and get a superstar like. For the second year in a row, he might be the best guy out there. You're one, certainly one of the best guys yeah. out there. But I, I mean, like, dude, I'm at like, you know, just above. I'm saying slightly, a, you know, non-zero chance, but basically just above, you know, right above zero. You know, somewhere in that like I mean, zero to five percent range. You know, there, there are so many teams a Kemba trade makes sense for. I mean, you I can know. start. You can start with New York is the obvious one for obvious reasons. Um, you know, look at Milwaukee. Could they upgrade the Bledsoe position? Um, yes. I mean, Phoenix needs a point guard. I mean, I don't know why they would trade for Kemba right now, but who knows what Phoenix is going to do ever. I mean, look at all these playoff contenders that could try to get in the mix. Uh, I just had another one in my mind. Now it slipped. But So I think they're fielding tons and tons and tons of calls and will continue mm-hmm. to do so. But how, how in the world could Charlotte – how could they explain to their fan base – that yeah, they just yeah. traded this guy after this huge marketing campaign with him on every poster with the All-Star game yeah. approaching. And then this story that very obviously the Hornets uh, helped Bleacher Report write about Kimba, um, you know, in L.A. <laughs> earlier in the week. You know, th- this this Puff story about Charlotte and how good of a guy he is, which he is a great guy. I totally believe that. But this is obviously orchestrated by, by somebody within the organization uh, with Bleacher Report. And, I mean, how could they then pivot and trade Kimba Walker? I, I mean, unless they're just pulling some Jedi – stuff here which they're not um i just there's no path to him being moved and i don't i'm not saying that i think kimba's gonna be traded but i, I also right. feel like as right. fans we shouldn't be expecting some kind of major shakeup. and uh you know and to escape this six to ten seed range anytime soon like brian says not until 2020 we're not going to escape that a major shakeup has to occur and by keeping kimba you're you're not really going to be I guess progressing in the standings all that much, and you know we talked about this last episode with with Rod Boone. Just our makeup and our salaries, it's going to be very hard to trade someone on our team and get anything back of like great value. So I'm not saying that we have to trade Kimba, but I also know that we're probably going to be stuck on this path of mediocrity for the next couple of seasons, barring something very fortunate in the draft. Yeah, oh, I remember. I remember the other one I, I had on my mind a second ago, and it's actually my favorite uh, "what if" Kemba trade. So, what if the Clippers called Charlotte and said, "We'll give you Shea Gil- Gilgis Alexander and your choice of, I, I don't know, look, look at four or five players and expiring contracts on this roster." Um, and you know what? We'll we'll throw in a, uh, a an unprotected pick this year since we're probably going to be in the playoffs, or maybe they could make you, it top you, twenty protected, right? So, okay, you have to do it. You have to do it. Right. I mean, that to. like a deal like that, I feel like a deal like that is probably out there for the Hornets because there are so many buyers in the market. And a team like the Clippers, like they'd love to get Kim in there now, make a playoff run, uh, you know, court Kawhi this summer, bring bring Kim back, which I think they could do within their cap. Like you can go down the list and, and look at just such attractive Kimba trades because of his low cap hit. Um, but I just don't think they're going to do it. Anyways, we can talk about stuff that actually has a chance to happen, yeah. Richie. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any uh, names or possibilities or anything that you're thinking about when it comes to this trade deadline come February 7th? Well, maybe somewhere we should start. I mean, Mark Stein tweeted earlier this week, and this is not a shock to anybody. The Hawks need to start losing, right? They're winning a lot recently, and I think it even surprises them. But Dwayne Dedman, uh, hold on. Dwayne Dedman, Jeremy Lynn, and Kent Bazemore all available. Uh, according to Stein for the right deal. Um, Greg Petrus, who used to write for Queen City Hoops, tweeted this the other day. Charlotte could use 
any of these guys. Like these are all holes that need to be plugged uh, for the Hornets. They need center depth. They need a wing who can guard multiple positions. So, you know, Devontae Graham doesn't have to keep squeezing his way into the, uh, to the rotation here and they need point guard help, you know? Um, So any of these guys could help. It's hard to see with Bazemore's number, you know, how it works to get him to Charlotte. I mean, Bazemore's making 18 this year. Uh, next season, he's got a player option for 19. I've seen somebody throw out a situation where, you know, can we switch him in Batum's contract and throw him something else? I have a request. Can we stop trying to move Batum's contract? It's not going to happen. It's Let's just, just stop. It's not yeah, going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Real quick, just to throw out the numbers, and then and then you go, BG. Lynn on an expiring 13.7, and then Deadman also on an expiring 7.2 this year. So those are very attractive contracts. Um, I, I just – it's hard to find like what Charlotte's sending back. Exactly. It makes sense for a team like Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta wants picks. So if we're going to send like, I mean, we're, we're already short on second round picks. So, I mean, if we add, you know, a young player, you know, and then a few picks, I mean, we just, there's nothing on, we have nothing to trade. (laughs) So it's just hard to see a deal. that's going to get us into these conversations. Yeah. Like lamb, lamb is sort of like those one swing chip, but like if you're, you're not going to get like equal return back for him, you know what I mean? And you, he's too important. Like you need him. So if you're if you're going to make this the the you know keep making this playoff push, so you can get swept by Toronto in the first round. But like you, you need Lamb to you need Lamb to get to get you to that finish line. Deadman makes Deadman for a while has made sense to me uh, as a possibility just because they they need center depth. He gives them an, a, you know like a like a rim running five. You know, he again, Biz has been, I guess, serviceable for the Hornets recently, but like he'd be soaking up these minutes for them with Cody out right now. You know what I mean? Or you wouldn't need to play Willie Aaron and Gomez. Like he could, you could put him back to the, the third spot and, and let, you know, Deadman and Zeller, when he gets healthy, the, let those guys handle. I mean, we're probably, what, two or four weeks away from Cody being healthy. That makes a lot of sense. Bazemore just feels like that salary is just too big. Like it's just, and I feel like Atlanta's got bigger fish to fry when it comes to like moving that piece because. Teams are looking for for wing depth, and, and he's sort of like one of the guys that can be had. You know what I, I mean? I think so. I think with Bazemore, just because of that number, like there's some clear dead money on that contract. How much of dead yes. money there is, I think, is up for debate. But like a Biz Bazemore swap with mm-hmm. yeah, a few, you know, a few yeah. second round picks or maybe yeah. one. Like I don't. I, it's hard to get a feel for yeah. what Bazemore's market's going to be with that cap hit the next yeah. year. It just you feel like I. My thought is like. There are other contenders. There's a team like Houston out there. You know, they'd have to move Eric Gordon to make this happen. But like, that are so desperate. And you know, Gordon's been pretty pretty awful this season. That would just like, they're so desperate to go get a piece because their window to win now is literally now, and it's it's not going to exist in 25 months. So I just feel like, and I just feel like there are there's better stuff to be yeah. had for them to move for him. Not like Kent Bazemore's this amazing player, but he's at he, he's at a position of need. And, and teams are just trying to st- stockpile, you know, three and D wings and guys that play with energy and stuff like that. I don't think this will happen because I don't think the Clippers are like at all try to have any interest parting ways with SGA. But like Pat Beverly on an expiring and SGA for Kemba, like that works. You know what I mean? But like I don't, I don't, I don't think that I don't think that's happening. But um, their starting lineup with 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 Gilgis Alexander is actually like overall in terms of net rating has not been great. And I mean, Kemba plus, you know, Harris and Montrez Harrell, I mean, and, and Gallinari, I mean, they would be, they would be a tough, I mean, that'd be a, a hell of a three point team with Harrell, you know, rim running and stuff like that too. Gortat, another really good screen setter out there. But like, I, I just don't think, I don't think that's happening. But Beverly does make a little bit of sense just because, you know, he's, ex- he's expiring and he, they, you could match the salaries with those two guys yeah. too. So yeah, th- those, those would be my two thoughts on just the sort of the moves we're discussing right now here. It's just it's just very difficult uh, to kind of think of a trade. Like once when you kind of pinpoint someone on the opposing team, it's it's hard to think about who is outgoing on the Hornets. I I, I don't yeah. like you said. Lamb is one of the biggest names that comes up. But we talked about this on last episode. There's not going to be someone who immediately impacts your team this season yeah. for his salary. And one name I do want to throw out there because I thought I saw it floating around uh, on Twitter. It'd be kind of funny to see, but Noah Vonley. Back with the Hornets, guys. Yeah, we got dude. He's been good, man. I think he's on a expiring contract, so again, um, gonna be tough to get. And it's yeah. funny, his agent actually is Jeff Schwartz, who also happens to represent Monk, Kimba, Zeller, 
and I believe Lamb, which I think is interesting. Yeah. I don't know how agents play a role in terms of that type of situation, but it's it's interesting to see that Jeff Schwartz shares you know agents with like four players on the Hornets. They they can certainly yeah. help. Yeah, Vonley is dirt cheap. This I mean New York's got an incredible value. One point five million. He's got only a tiny cap hold of one point six two million after you know after this season too. I mean he's been. What a what a buy low bargain yeah. find, and he the guy's made himself some money going into a um, you know a big free agency summer too. Here here's a deal I think makes a little bit of sense for Charlotte is, and you know I, I kind of go back and forth on where I think Courtney Lee is at this point in his career. But if you think that a Courtney Lee Jeremy Lamb swap to get New York off that contract, which they badly want to do, and open up some cap space this summer, and then you know to make this out to make it work, you know, throwing Frank Kaminsky, you can have his restricted rights, and if he plays well at the end of the season, when you're trying to tank to get Zion, then so be it. You guys have a negotiation. That trade works. I think it barely keeps Charlotte under the tax. And if you think a Jeremy Lamb Courtney Lee swap actually makes you more versatile on the floor, which I would argue that it does in Charlotte's case. Um, then I think that a, a deal like that is probably worth taking a look at. And not only that, but if, if, if you know, the Hornets are throwing back New York two expirings, essentially two expirings, mm-hmm. and, and getting them off that extra year of Lee's deal, they can also get a pick back. How many yeah, more years? Would. How many more years for Lee after this? Because I know his contract's not the greatest. Do we know? One yeah, more. I think one, it was a four year in yeah, 2016. Yeah, so one more year. This to me is probably the most realistic trade in the Hornets' wheelhouse, and and yeah. we don't, you know, Lee's been hurt, but he's also he, he's also on a roster that's trying to lose. So you know, there's just always there's always mud in the water with those kind of situations. So yeah. I, I think this guy can help somebody. I think he can help Charlotte, and they might as well just take on his money and keep it on the books into next season because their cap situation doesn't look any better next summer anyways, right? So, yeah. like, there's no reason for them to get off significant money. If they can help somebody else, possibly help themselves on the floor this year and also get a pick back, I think it might be worth it. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just depressing to hear out loud, you know? Yeah, well. um, I, I would, I would I, I like Courtney Lee a lot. I'd push back again, like you said, the, the waters are a little bit muddy. He's only played like you know a dozen games or whatever this year. I push back a little bit on it making them more versatile, just because I think Lamb, his ability to go get his own shot, again, you know, a lot of times it's these like floaters that aren't that great. It's just so like it's just so important. It's tough to think of them putting more on Tony Parker's plate. Maybe maybe Devonte Graham helps a little bit there, but now all of a sudden you're counting a lot for shot creation from a a six foot two rookie, and you basically be putting more on Monk and Bridges and like I, I just don't know right now if those guys are are there. But yeah, and these, I, I, yeah, I really think it would help Charlotte on the defensive end. It would no doubt, yeah. which they need. I mean, like they're the Charlotte is not a good defensive basketball team. And, and and Jeremy Lamb's just an overrated defensive player, I think, because yes. of his length and stuff. I mean, Lee would help them there, and, we, and we, we've seen what – assuming he's healthy. Again, I'm, I'm just under the assumption this guy can play basketball this season. Um, we could, we've seen him knock down shots for this franchise in the playoffs in huge situations. Yeah. I, I think this is something they can take seriously. Hey, maybe if they threw in Vonley, if the salary still matched, I might be more for it. But uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about trade stuff as – the February 7th uh, trade deadline approaches. Uh, We're going to go ahead and wrap. Thanks again for listening. Uh, We appreciate all the support and continue to give our episodes a retweet. It definitely goes a long way in getting more ears on our podcast. Also, get in on that giveaway uh, for the BuzzBeat Kimba shirt. It ends Sunday the 20th, and we'll announce it the 21st. So uh, if you want a free T-shirt, it doesn't hurt to at least try to get your name into that raffle. For Spencer, for Brian, I am Richie. Have a good one, and we will see you next time.